Welcome to Travel People, living authentic lives, finding kindred spirits, and fulfilling dreams. Sometimes we have to get lost for a while to live found and free. Here we talk about essential journeys, what I call beauty breaks for the soul. They lead us home to the people we were created to be. My guests are masters of reinvention and growth, and they live around the globe. They're going to share their travel go-to places and give insider tips on where and how to take timeouts in their backyards. They'll inspire and empower you to plan your next adventure, to live your best life of relationship, rejuvenation, rest, whatever it is that you need and seek. I'm Cindy McCain, travel writer and blogger at Southern Girl Gone Global, where I share my journey as a mom, explorer of 27 countries, former expat, and empty nest survivor. When my children flew away, I did too. For a while, I landed in Morocco. After two years there and one in the Caribbean, I'm back in Nashville teaching university English, telling travel tales, and coaching others as they write theirs. I'm so excited to introduce you to some of the colorful cohorts that I've met from around the world whose heads and hearts push me to press on in growth, live by core values, never settle, accept change. Welcome back to part two of my interview with David and Kendra Lucas, who set out in February of 2020 to explore 100 countries in search of a new home. Though the pandemic has interrupted their journey, they're enjoying being stranded in Thailand. Here's what they hope happens at the end of the world tour and why they choose to make a new home. Wow. So once the two years are up and you've seen multiple countries, um, then the plan is that you will choose the one that you feel like is going to be your heart's home and that's where you're going to stay. Yes, yes, exactly. That's the goal. So <laughs> will you, will you, I know you guys like taught English online when you were here, you know, you've done, you've been realtors. I mean, what, what, what do you think, I guess it depends on where you're going to be, but what, what will you do? Do you think job wise at that point? Well, right now, yeah, we're working on growing our businesses and our YouTube channels. Yeah. So we want to become professional tra travel bloggers. Yeah. So we want our articles, our website to bring in advertising income, our YouTube channel to bring in advertising income. And um, as I teach English as a second language, I have a Udemy course that is even currently bringing in some income. Um, and I'm trying to build my own website because um, while Udemy is great, I don't get 100% right. of customers or right. the income. So I want to build something that's all me, that is 100%. Right. And that's so challenging. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been yeah. years in the making. Yeah. But I'm determined I have two years. I have to get this website to um, work for me. So that's our plan. We want to be self-employed. We don't want to go back to a, yep. a job interview ever again. We don't want to work <laughs> for anybody else yeah. ever again. Um, David has created a new YouTube channel that he's like super passionate about. Yeah. It's called In the News where he's talking about 
politics and things that are happening currently. So we're really focused on just growing these new ideas because they are a creative part of us that we finally get to express. And we don't have those nine to fives anymore kind of getting us challenges or holding back our creativity. So it's just nice and this pandemic has forced us to stay still and really think about what we want career-wise. Yeah. So it's been good yeah. yeah. in that regard. Yeah, for me, I, I knew I didn't want to go back to the United States as far as the the standard way I've done things in the past. You know, I've, I've worked a lot of different jobs. Uh, fortunately, I have a lot of different talents and a lot of different things that um, I'm good at. And so now I'm trying to use those talents for myself and for the community. Um, and building my own platform is, it's a lot of work. I know it takes time. I know these types of things, like you're doing now, doesn't happen overnight, but they do happen. Yeah, and once do. you plant that seed and get, get it going and just nourish it over time, it'll develop. I've seen uh, people be very successful at this. Um, we will be back in the U.S. We will see our friends and our family, and we will visit and have have uh, have a chance to uh, experience that. But I don't think we'll be living there long term again. I think we are too adventurous. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're two adventurous souls, and we want to go out and see the world. And if we can make it past the two years, the two years was kind of our, our cutoff. We could actually financially probably go further than that. Yeah. But we were just saying, okay, if we're going to do this see the world thing, we need to start now and and see where it takes us. Yeah. So, and you know, we get ready to go to Morocco. We're going to be contacting you. Yeah, <laughs> please do. I've got so many fun things for you guys to do and people that I want to hook you up with too, uh, that will show you, show you around. And I was going to say, you know, that's another thing for doing this is trying to, to let people kind of network because uh, my friend Kate that's there now, she's actually going to go back to Melbourne for a while if if and when she could get a flight out. She stayed through, you know, most of the quarantine. Uh, but if you go to New Zealand and you go to Australia, she'll, she'll you know, and she also has been to India several times and, and can tell you about that too. So, you know, this travel community, there's, I mean, those of us that are just crazy about travel, there's so many, there are a lot of us out there. And one thing I would suggest if you get the chance, because they have one in Asia, the one that they had in Europe uh, was in Sicily. I was supposed to be in Sicily. It's called Tbex. You may be familiar with it, but they're uh, the Travel Bloggers Exchange. And this is kind of what launched so I was doing a blog, just a lifestyle blog here in Nashville. And then when I went to Morocco and lived there 2014 to 16, uh, that, you know, I started sort of, yeah, I was writing things mostly for people at home, but I wanted to kind of take it to the next level. And uh, I saw where there was going to be Tbex Europe in Spain and Costa Brava. And so I went there, didn't know a soul, you know, but I went there and I met the, the lady that I just interviewed that her, hers has just come out, episode uh, three. She was, she was a newbie as well, like I was. Um, but I learned so much there because all of the 
it seemed like all the superstar, you know, the YouTubers, the, the you know, whether they were Instagram or whoever they were, the, you know, just the, the, the blogs, they were all there. And they have sessions, they speak, they teach you, you know, how to do things. And, and these, a lot of these people, this is what they do full time. This, it, it's not a small number. There are many, many people that are doing this full time. And uh, for me, probably the most valuable thing I learned was how to do a, um, uh, a press kit so that uh, I could start collaborating with travel brands. And that's how I got to do so many things I did. Um, I was teaching in Morocco and, 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 and again, it was our, our accommodations, you know, my apartment was paid for. The only thing I had to pay for was my food and my cell phone. They actually gave us a cell phone, but it was kind of like an old, you know, flip kind. So if you, if I wanted to use the one from the States, I had to pay that, which was about $15 a month. Um, and I paid for food and, and try, you know, and then I had travel. And so, um, so anyway, when I went there, they taught us sort of how to put together a press kit. And actually the way the travel blogging thing started, the collaboration thing was even before I went, um, I was going to different places and blogging about them. And I went to uh, one of the big, big hotels that's kind of iconic there. And I was writing about, oh, this is such a you know gorgeous place. It's a beauty, you know, it's like a, taking a beauty break for the soul. And so um, when I did that, that was Love Mamunia, uh, I did that for. And then uh, Royal Mansour, it was actually built by decree of the king of Morocco. Uh, their PR person saw it and uh, direct messaged me and said, oh, well, you really should come see our hotel. And so that that was my first, um, you know, chance to go somewhere like that. And I mean, I would have never been able to, I, I got to do a hammam there. You know, I had this, which is kind of like a Turkish bath where they, you've got to go to the hammam when you go to Morocco. It's a very Moroccan thing. But I got to do that. And, you know, I, three different times they had me back. And and then, you know, once I learned kind of how to put the press kit together, I started reaching out to people. And um, and this is something, you know, you guys definitely, you know, that, uh, there'll be people that will say, come stay here. You know, they'll, I mean, you get food, you get experiences, things that I would have never been able to afford on my own. Um, mm -hmm. And just met, it was so cool to meet the owners of these places. You know, there's, there's a lot of expats all over the world that... Um, have taken their life savings and they've gone and opened these these hotels and these boutiques as well as the local people. Um, but I loved hearing about their dreams and how you know they would build these you know riads from the ground up and renovate them and and go into the souks and have somebody custom make everything for them. So um, you know, literally this one place I went, except for the refrigerator and the air conditioner, I think every single thing in his guest house was he had designed and he would take it to these artisans and just say, you know, I want, you know, this is the furniture I want. This is the candle labra I want. This is the, you know, whatever. And so, but yeah, it was just, it's fun to hook up with people that have those same passion, you know, the passions you do and, and the experiences all over the world. There's NGOs, there's ways to give back. There's, um, you know, it, I just get so excited even just seeing what you're doing and talking about travel. I can't wait to get back out there at some point. So <laughs> you got to do it. <laughs> I know for sure.
Um, so I love the way that even though you've done a lot of research and in, in deciding, you know, where you want to go, because I'm, I'm big on personal experimentation as well. I think it's so cool that you want to actually go and see a hundred countries. That is, you know, that's a, that's a big list, but it's also, um, you're talking about that you're looking for a home for the, re for the rest of your life. So you're wanting to settle somewhere. So, um, that's a big decision. So what led to you maybe wanting to live outside of the U.S.? Yeah, so it's so many different reasons, uh, both positive and negative. Mm -hmm. um, we just in our travels, we love to travel. We love to experience different cultures. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the years, it got to the point where we were starting to feel more comfortable traveling abroad than we did in our own home of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, currently in the news, um, there's a lot of protests due to the um, the murder of George Floyd by the police officers in Minneapolis, um, Minnesota. And this is just the most popular incident in the world at the moment. And But it's something that's gone on for decades. And it's something that David and I have felt for years, the racism and the fear of police brutality. And one of the negative reasons is we want it to be safer. Um, knowing the way my husband looks as a black man, uh, I want it to protect him. I want it to protect myself. And being around police is a real threat to him. So I just felt it wise um, that we we did try to find somewhere safer. Um, there's racism in almost every country, but the thing is there's no other country in the world that has violence the way the United States has. And I felt like we can handle a lot of things, but we can't handle death. We can't handle murder. That's final and permanent. So if we could just get somewhere where we would not be at risk of being, you know, shot due to gun violence or being um, maimed or killed due to police brutality, that we would have a much better quality of life. And already we feel so much more comfortable. We don't hear gunshots at night. Um, the police do not harass us at all. No problems whatsoever. So we feel so much more comfortable outside of our own home country than we did in, and we feel much safer. Yeah, with saying that, you know, there's there's things that we've talked about on our channel also, just about um, how and why of, of the police, not, not just the police brutality, that's one issue, but just the politics of our country and how... Um, Many things are stereotyped now. The media, there's a lot of false and fake stories out there. Uh, big, uh, uh, big companies uh, promote a lot of false uh, media these days, stereotypes and different things that are going on that's popular in the U.S. right now. And unfortunately, story after story, incident after incident, people are dying 
I mean, openly, just in the last couple of weeks, there was an Ahmad Aubrey story where a young man was jogging and was killed by two white men down south. Okay. Then this this police brutality story that just broke out a couple of weeks ago with uh, George uh, Floyd, his murder, and it was caught on camera. These things are being caught on camera more and more, but people think that it's new. It's not new. These things have been happening since the 60s and before that. There's been a lot of violence toward the African-American community. And the, the problem with that is that these people of authority, the police, the DAs, the attorneys, the judges, they all work together. They, they, they cover these stories up. Um, it's not until they hit the national media stage that people get outraged because now it's, it's undeniable. It's in our face. We see it, okay? People will, will, will still try to deny it, but the truth is this happens every day in a city around the United States. It doesn't always get caught on camera, but it's always happening. I've been pulled over in the past, and I've, I've felt the fear of the police of what they could do or what they might say. If this police officer is having a bad day, it doesn't matter what you say. If this police officer feels confident that he can kill you and he's not fearful of losing his job or fearful of being reprimanded or, or fearful of being arrested, and if he has someone who's willing to stand in his corner and say, hey, that guy didn't do anything wrong, and now it's you versus them, and you're dead, or something bad has happened to you, and there's no way to prove your way out of it. Plus, you're depending on a system that doesn't really protect you. Okay? So people say that it, it's the incident itself, but it's bigger than that. The incident is just a small fraction of it. It's the system that surrounds it, that protects it, and holds it there. So if you're a person of color, you're not fighting against this one person. You're fighting against this whole system. Police have unions, powerful attorneys, millions of dollars. They cover these things up. A person like that, could, a, a police officer who commits some kind of brutality, can get suspended or sent home for a couple of weeks. He'll be brought right back to his job and, put, and, and, and be out there again. This last incident, the police officer had 18 complaints against him of violence, 18. And, and unfortunately, he had killed someone before. So what am I saying? I'm not saying this to make anyone upset or make anybody feel a particular way. But in the African-American community, these are things that we think about. These are things that, um, you know, we have to deal with with our children being treated a certain way. This was one of the considerations. And, I, and, I, and I'll go a step further. There's another consideration. All of these mass shootings that's going on. People can take a gun. In America, we, we, we have... We have military-style guns that people can buy. They can walk right into your local Kroger's or Walmart or church or movie theater. And in Nashville, they have. 
they've walked into uh, the Waffle House and places like that and shoot everybody, okay? And it's an issue that gets pushed aside. Every time it happens, it gets pushed aside. The NRA comes out, this very powerful gun um, uh, uh, organization. They lobby to the White House and they lobby to the politicians. They pay for the politicians' elections. So, of course, they're going to be voted in every time. And these are powerful organizations. And until someone can step up to the plate and get rid of these organizations that, that promote these crimes against people of color and people in general, I think it was Las Vegas where this man, he was a wealthy man. He was, he was already rich. And he was in a, a hotel, a gambling casino hotel, and he was shooting down at a concert, just shooting people randomly. He had all of these weapons in his hotel room, and he was killing people at a concert, at a, at a country music concert. Yeah. It took a couple of weeks, but they end up pushing that aside as well. You see, these things happen all the time in America. And, and it's not that they don't go noticed, but they don't go any further. They don't stop it. it. Recently, it was somewhere in New Zealand or one of these other countries. They had the worst gun violence attack they'd ever had. They stopped the gun violence immediately. They got rid of the guns right after that happened. They got rid of the assault rifles. Yes, they got And that's what we're talking about. Most of the mass shootings are with assault rifles. But the citizens, they, won't, they don't want to address this issue that's literally murdering people on a monthly, weekly basis. And in my own hometown of Antioch, we've had three mass shootings. And it's hard to feel safe when you know somebody, uh, a mass shooting happened at the Waffle House. It happened yeah. at the movie theater. It happened at a church. Well, how can you avoid going to these places? This is your own neighborhood. And for us, the only solution was to leave because we knew the laws were never going to change. And we saw how our countrymen value having an assault rifle so much that they don't care how many people die in the process. And it was just something we didn't want to be part of anymore. So we want to be part of a country where they value life, where the police don't kill people, and where they don't have assault, ri assault rifles. So that's what we're looking for. And it's easy to find. Literally every other country on the planet um, doesn't have these problems. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. You know, people say, well, these governments are different. Yes, we're in Asia right now. These governments are very different than what we're accustomed to and the freedoms we're accustomed to in the U.S. But I feel like many of these countries value life more than we do in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Because uh, if you go to Singapore, that yes, they have cameras everywhere. And that can be invasive to know that there's cameras everywhere. But also, too, they have very strict laws against violence, against uh, harassing women. Women can walk around in places like Singapore three, four, five in the morning without ever being harassed, without ever being uh, targeted. Because it's illegal and punishment is strictly 
enforced. Like if you cat call a woman and she reports you, I forget the punishment, but it is harsh. That's why they don't cat call there. So you can imagine just feeling so much comfortable as a woman walking around at night to know that if you call the police, if you feel threatened because a man is, you know, stalking you or cock cling or whatever, that you you can get some results. It's you can, serious. Yeah. It's serious. Mm -hmm. And so people don't take... Uh, we, we had a cab driver who was a police officer, who was a former police officer. He was telling us these things, why it was so safe there. And I just, that five minutes in that cab driver's ride impressed me. I mean, I know it sounds weird. We were just talking in a cab, but it impressed me so much about that country because to me, security, the freedom of having real security is that important to a person like me. You know, um, when my mom was young, she was, um, she was, I don't think I don't think she was raped, but she was she was attacked when she was younger, and she told us about this when we were young. So we were raised by my mom. So being raised by my mom, who's had that happen to her, you better believe she instilled in us that that would never happen to a woman around us. I'm I'm super protective of Kendra because of the stories my mom told me. So if you could imagine that when I was in Singapore. I was just so impressed that they had laws like that, that they would enforce laws like that. Because do you know how easy it is for a man in America to rape a woman and get away with it? They almost never get arrested, or if they do get arrested, they never get prosecuted. Okay? That's the real America. That's the difference between some of those countries and how laws are enforced in other countries. And is strict. But at the same time, I feel more secure in Singapore than I would feel in America. I know that sounds odd, but that's just true. I know that I was, um, I went, I joined this hiking group when I was in Morocco of expats, and there was a lady, uh, she became a friend, and she is from Norway. And, um, I was new there and, uh, you know, we, it was a little out of my comfort zone because we, I didn't really know there were, there ended up only being three of us that showed up that day. And so we went way up in the mountains, far out of Marrakesh. Um, and we, and the guy that he, he spoke the language, but he would just hike us right through, you know, different little towns and villages and, you know, but part of me is like, we don't, I don't, we don't know these people, you know, what are you doing? And, uh, and I remember I just asked her, I said, is this safe? Is this okay? I mean, um, and she just said, uh, yeah, and she's, she has a home there. She's there all the time. But she said, she said, safe. She said, you know where I, the one place I've ever been that I didn't feel safe. She said, in your country, she said, because there everybody's got a gun and they may shoot me. And that was kind of her, uh, which I said, we don't all have guns, you know, but, but a lot of, you know, some people do. And, but that, I heard that over and over and over. I heard that particularly from a lot of my European friends and they were serious. They said, you know, I think I would be definitely more afraid of getting shot in your country than, you know, a lot of other places. So I grew up, my dad was a hunter, you know, we had guns around, but, um, but 
Yeah, I could I, because it's it is so different than the rest of the world. And I, I, ha, I heard that everywhere I went. They're like, but there you all have guns and you have all these mass shootings and we don't have those here. Even though, as you said, I mean, New Zealand did just have that incident, but I didn't realize what really happened with that. So they kind of came down hard. Oh, yeah. It's all about the assault rifles because right. Right. when you're hunting, it's a completely different right. thing than right. if you're trying to kill people. Right. So right. these are military-style weapons that yeah. are the, there to kill as many people as possible. Yeah. Many countries across the world have decided they don't want the public to have weapons for killing people. Right. Recreation, hunting, yeah. sure. Yeah. Fine. I understand that. Yeah. But they are not allowing, they're not promoting the killing of humans in any way or shape or form. They just don't accept and, that in other countries. But we don't ever want those type of weapons to end up in the hands of a man that's on the fringes, right? Right. Someone who's depressed or someone who's who just maybe went through a divorce or just lost his job or about to lose his house and and all of a sudden just decides to take his own life and others, right? Yes. So we know that these situations happen. We know that people get that way. So why are we arming these people, right? So that becomes the problem. It's not that the weapon itself is always the problem. I agree with people who say that, that it's not always the problem. It's how it's handled and who has it. So that means that we don't need to, even people in the military have said, this gun was not designed for a civilian. These guns were not designed for a civilian. We used to have laws against these guns. Now there's not. Everything is open and free to the public. So, you know, America needs to change that. that those are things that are, are, are that have to be changed at some point, or it puts people at risk. Mm -hmm. you know. At least that's our opinion. And, I mean, we felt strongly enough to leave because of it, because it just wasn't safe for us uh, due to all the gun violence and just due to the systemic racism that would have put our lives in danger if anything, if somebody had a bad day, mm -hmm. our lives would be in danger, so. Yeah, well, and, and, and for me, I, w I would love it if my family just said, hey, we're all just gonna move to a different country. I, I, I would love that. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people, I even have friends who say, why would you do that, you know? America's the best country. It's like, well, yeah, I've been to some other countries. There's some nice countries out there. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but okay, <laughs> you know, so. Nashville has become so expensive that it's, for oh. me, as just a single woman, I, I don't know how I can continue to necessarily live here because it's so, it just, it just keeps getting more and more expensive. That as well. It's very expensive. So. Yeah. Yeah. Was well, there anything else before? I always like to end with advice that you would give um, to a, your your twenty something self or to a daughter um, one day. But but um, is there anything else that you'd like we could talk about before we move on to that? Hmm. Um, I would just like to say that you know sometimes. 
Um, and this is more toward the travel people who are out there. Yeah. Sometimes we dream or fantasize about being in a relationship and traveling with someone. Um, and sometimes if you're married, of course, that's easy, right? Right. Um, but I'm, I'm going to challenge people to do this. You've got friends, um, close friends, uh, not necessarily boyfriend or girlfriend, that you can partner with and travel with. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I don't think a lot of people talk about that. Um, some people are afraid to travel alone, and it, that's okay. Uh, and some people are okay with traveling alone. And so I want to say that when you start traveling, you really can travel alone and feel confident and feel the same energy. You won't be alone. There's travelers everywhere. There's a yeah. whole travel community out yeah. there. So I want to say that, first of all. Then I want to say, if you have a friendship, someone who, who respects you and you respect them and it doesn't have to be an emotional connection, friendship, or anything intimate. But if you just, I've seen, I've met people and seen people who are just traveling together yeah. and enjoying uh, traveling and the energy of not being alone, but just being together. Yeah. Um, because is there's that stigmatism, oh, you got to be married or you got to be, right? Right. I think that's a false sense of confidence you can get from that. I want to say to all the single people out there, if you love traveling, go. Yep. Just go. Stop making excuses and yep. just get out there and live. Yes. We, we, we don't know how much time is on that magical hourglass that we have, right? right. It, it, at some point, you got to ask yourself, if I'm going to do the things I want to do in life, when am I going to do them? <laughs> we just got to go right. and do the. Are you going to do it perfect the first time? Probably not. Did we do anything ever perfect the first time? No. <laughs> Probably not. So I just want to encourage people that have that desire. If you have that desire, stop putting it off and just do it. When Kendra came to me and said, let's sell everything and let's just go, I was like, when are we going? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Go right now. <laughs> I mean, uh, let, you know, Kendra is, unlike me, Kendra's a very good itemizer, very good with details. I'm a big picture guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She says, let's go somewhere. I'm like, let's go to Japan. We'll figure out where we'll end up once we get there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, but Kendra is very detailed. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we compromise and, and we work well together with that. Yeah. If you have that and you have a friend who's willing to travel with you, Maybe it's a best friend, girlfriend. Maybe it's a guy that you grew up with and you guys have always been cool. And you just say, hey, let's go to Mexico. Or, hey, let's go to uh, the Bermuda Triangle. Let's go to Japan. Let's go to Tokyo or China. Kendra said to me years ago, she said, where is someone you, where's somewhere you would really like to go? And I said, hmm, I've always, my whole life, wanted to go to China. 
And she, she said, China, of all places. So she went and did research on China. She came back to me and said, China would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, yeah. So we went to China. And <laughs> it was a trip of a lifetime. It was amazing. We did a tour of China. We went to all these different cities. We saw all these different places. And this was before we became travel bloggers. But that kind of set a precedent for a precedent for our trip to uh, Italy, yeah. you know, our, our other trips, you know, that we've been on. And so I just want to encourage people to really release those fears. When these countries start to open back up, get out there, okay? We don't, like I said before, we don't know how much time we got. Spend that time on your journey enjoying yourself. For me, that's what travel has always been. Mm -hmm. I, feel, I feel a lot better when I'm traveling versus sitting at home or going to that nine to five every day. I feel better traveling. Right. So. Mm -hmm. so we've met a fellow American here who was a teacher in Indonesia. And she told us, uh, she's been to 39 countries and she travels solo and she says, I don't feel like I'm traveling alone. I feel like I'm traveling with friends I haven't met yet. Yeah. And that just stuck with me so <laughs> much because she is such a friendly person. Yeah. Literally everybody in this whole city is her best friend. So she has a talent for making connection with people and I, I myself consider her one of my best Thailand friends now. Yeah. So I can totally see how she can travel so easily and never feel alone mm -hmm. because she is always getting out of her own boxes and yeah. she's always starting conversations with locals and fellow tourists. And she'll take so many day trips with so many different people. And I just admire that about her so much. Yeah. Whereas me and David, we don't nearly have as big of a social, social uh, circle as she does. Um, and that's because we have each other. But she has a network of like 20 people here that yeah. she can rely on. She calls yeah. them for rides. She, I mean, just anything she needs. She has a whole city of support just because she's been traveling solo. So... I would also encourage people, don't be afraid to do that. I traveled solo myself, going to Mexico mm -hmm. even, mm -hmm. and it was a great experience. I would tell my 20-year-old self, though, um, don't buy so many things. Yes. I, like, all the things I bought in my lifetime, I had to sell them for pennies <laughs> on the dollar anyway, or I just yeah. gave them away to Goodwill. Those little trinkets were expensive and they didn't matter. Right. I would tell myself to buy plane tickets and buy experiences that are enriching, that help you to grow as a person, that opens your eyes to something new. Yeah. Uh, because that's what I truly get enjoyment out of. And I feel like that was truly money well spent. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and piggybacking on what Kendra just shared about buying things, I am ridiculous <laughs> with that. So we sold our house. We sold our house, and we had to sell everything in it. 
I remember this one this one item that I sold. You're not going to believe this. The, <laughs> the bed that I sold, our personal bed, cost me... You know Sprint's in Nashville, right? Yeah. I yeah. a bed that was about three or $4,000. Yeah, that's a nice bed, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I sold that bed for about $50. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I ended up giving away most things when I moved. And I yeah. I was so happy to get rid of it. It was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it was huge. Yeah. Like, get it out of here. Yeah. yeah. So I, that's one of the things. But, you know, for me, what would I say to myself if I was 20 years old? This is what I would say. There are things in life we want to do, but we put them so far down on the list of what other people want us to do. We put the things that other people want us to do high up on our list. And we focus like a laser on doing the things other people want. Instead of doing what we want, we put ourselves way down on the bottom and we put them way up on the top. We have to change that. We have to start living our lives for ourselves. And, and once we start doing that, then we have more energy to give to other people. Exactly. Once we start loving ourselves, we teach the world how to love us. And, and in doing so, those other things become easy. So I think my, for, for many years, I feel like my desires in life was to focus on pleasing other people instead of living the life I was meant to live. Now I'm living the life I'm meant to live and it feels so easy. It feels so good and it feels so right. And I think that's the thing I would encourage myself to do all those years. Find what it is to be you. Mm -hmm. Love that. And then you can give yourself to the world. That's yeah. the gift of the world. Yeah, you know? because, it, because if we're depleted, we, 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 we give from overflow. When we're, when we're depleted and worn out and, you know, we're not we're not much good to other people really. And, and I also think it gives people permission to be themselves when they mm -hmm. see, you know, other people being themselves, then it kind of gives us all that permission. Um, uh, but so many things you just said, I totally agree with the, I moved out of the country for three years, uh, when my children left the nest, I, I sat in a, you know, empty house for two years, uh, and just, thought, you know, it's now, and I'd always wanted to live abroad. I thought, you know, for a year, but the year turned into three years. And, mm -hmm. um, and I really could have, you know, I was only in Morocco two years. I, I could have easily stayed there three years, uh, cause I loved it. But I think, um, yeah, I just decided, you know, now it's time to go and, and have some adventures. And, and I did a lot of solo travel, um, a lot of solo travel while I was over there. But I also did things with friends. And the thing about people, uh, international teachers, is that, you know, we all love to travel. That's why we're there. So every weekend, you know, people were flying here, flying there. Then they come back on Monday morning, and then somebody would hear somebody talking about, you know, wherever, you know, they went to Portugal, they went to the Canary Islands, they went wherever. And then somebody would say, okay, well, I'm going there next. And, uh, you know, and sometimes you go with other people and, I do think that um, wherever you end up 
settling, uh, you know, once you've kind of been all around and decided where you want your new home to be, it is interesting how, um, especially people, I just found the expat community, we bonded really fast and furiously in a way that we don't hear. You know, yeah. I've been in groups yeah. here that I felt like, it, well, wow, this is a great community. Salsa, you know, the salsa group was, is, is a community. And, um, but there's something about when you're in a different culture and you find those people um, and you bond with locals as well. I mean, I have local friends as well, but I don't know. It, you just depend on each other more. There's, there's, um, there, there's just, there's something about it that you really do become a tight, a tight group and a tight community. And two, maybe the way I know, like we lived in a complex among locals, but all the teachers were kind of there. And so here, you know, you have to have a car for everything. You can't just, you know, we're also spread out all over Nashville. Um, mm -hmm. If I want to see a friend, I'm going to have to drive probably 30 minutes or 20 minutes to get somewhere. And a lot of times you live in closer physical community and that kind of makes it a little bit easier too. But, and also what you said about uh, things, you know, I think about, uh, I used to take, uh, well, I still take school groups to, um, on educational trips. But when I first started going, it's like every country, you know, there's certain things like, well, I have to get a cuckoo clock if I go to Switzerland or I have mm -hmm. to get, you know, something. And then, and I do still have my cuckoo clock, but many of the things that I thought I had to have, I suddenly realized I, I didn't need all that. And now the only souvenirs I want are pictures. I want my yeah. pictures and I want my videos. That yeah. I want. But the rest yeah. of it. Souvenirs as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. We don't for them and our luggage so we exactly just, we are not able to do it anymore exactly. but yeah we threw I've had maybe 20 years worth of souvenirs when we sold our house yeah. all those souvenirs went in the trash yeah I mean yeah they don't really help me remember the trip the pictures help you right. remember the trip right so now I just focus on those pictures and those videos right my YouTube channel is going to be memories for the rest of my life. Absolutely. I cannot wait to watch those videos again in 10 years and be like, oh, see what we did. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's what I think about the blog. I think even if I always think, well, you know, maybe my, my kids won't, you know, read every single word of it now. A lot of it they won't read. But they will one day, you know, one day they'll they'll kind of go, oh, this is pretty cool. And I and I forget things. So it's good for me to go back and see all that, you know, on on video and in photos and, and on the blog. Do you all journal as well? Um, do you do you kind of journal or you're probably doing a lot more vlogging? You're like yeah. in the moment. We're, we're more bloggers. I, I've, I've tried to keep a journal over time. Facebook's kind of taking yeah. over that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but really, your blog like, is your journal, really, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Uh, I wish I did have my personal thoughts. Yeah. Because that's the thing. You do forget your personal thoughts yes. over time. Yeah. So journaling should be something that I do add to mm -hmm. what I do as I travel. But for whatever reason, I feel like the blogging just takes so much time. <laughs> it does. Energy to journal as well, but yeah. I know it's important. 
Well, I, I'm a big, I've always been a big journaler, but um, what, I, so I'm now writing a book about the two years in Morocco. And so oh, I use, nice. yeah, so I use the blog is, is a great resource for me, but my, I also had the personal journals that were all the kind of behind the scenes that maybe I didn't want to put out there at the time on a blog, but, mm -hmm. and then the pictures, because luckily they're, they are dated. So sometimes just today I was, I was getting some, you know, I was trying to think, well, wait, did I go there first or there? And so then I could go back to my photos and everything, you know, is chronologically there. So, yeah. 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 I'm a big, a uh, big believer in, yeah, lots of pictures. Uh, and if you can do it immediately on the blog, that's the best thing. But if not, you know, it's good to have, I guess, a record somewhere that you'll go back and do it. So what, yeah. It has been so great talking with you all. Um, anything else you can think of before we go, or are we good? Or yeah, it's been a pleasure. Been Thanks wonderful. so much for inviting yeah. us. On yeah. Well, Nashville misses you guys a lot, but we're <laughs> yeah. just so happy for you. And I'm hoping someday we'll meet up somewhere out there in the world, somewhere as well as when you come home to visit. I'd love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye bye. 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 See ya. Come run out.